1: Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. This is Internet Marketing. And today I'm joined by Paps Shake, Managing Director and Partner at Eggmobi, a digital creative agency specializing in the creation of ads that get user attention. Hey, Paps, how are you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Glad to be on the show today, Andy. Oh, well, it's an
1: absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, now, we're going to be talking about um, ads and and design approaches to ads and things like that. But before we sort of dig into that, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay, I'm going to keep it short and sweet, which is always the best way. Uh, but, you know, started off in media, traditional media, still love traditional media. Lots of good stuff has happened there for many, many decades. As soon as the internet revolution was starting in the late 90s, working for a big company, which was known as EMAP are very keen for us to take some of our content online and that's where the story started, really. I mean, I've been involved in numerous startups, call it my uh, my legal drug as such, but I'm just uh, I'm obsessed and I'm addicted to startups and high growth yeah. businesses and businesses, which I think, you know, we've heard the adage, which just disrupt, but ultimately really bring benefit to whether it's society, it's an ecosystem within any industry category. So I was involved in search way before Google arrived here in Europe and a company called eSpotting and um, video very early on company. Called Video Jug, which was, you know, really trying to take knowledge and then put it into video form. So, you know, if you know how to make a good set of beans on toast, as funny as it <laughs> sounds, who knows, maybe in 15 years' time, someone somewhere will watch that two minute video and think, wow, I hadn't thought of it in that manner. And more recently, spent a significant amount of time with a West Coast company where Our real mantra was just to improve advertising online. I mean, it was as simple as that. Um, And then, you know, another company now called Eggmobi, which is, as you've introduced us, we're production and creative. And I'll touch a little bit more on the company right at the end. Hmm. But we want to build good ad experiences. That is the basis of what we want to do. And when I talked about traditional media, as I said, you know, a great TV ad still makes you feel something. A good print ad still kind of gets you to stop flicking through the pages. I think that's what we're trying to do in digital here. And, uh, yeah, Mm. just I, I love digital, love media, and that's what kind of flicks my switch
1: and just to get an idea of the kind of ads that you do uh, perhaps is, is it sort of mainly sort of text or is it audio or is it video or is it a mixture of is it banner ads is it how does what form does it take
2: all oh, right it's a good, really good question andy if our ads capture someone's attention and we get them to spend time with the ad then we know we're winning now when the you know and i'm going to touch on literally the formats in a bit when we go through design and what we call engagement design but yeah yeah it, it's a mixture of what could be classed as banner ads as such, but they're really getting people's attention. And then we like to go into full screen ads, where you know we do a lot of work on mobile, probably our strongest platform. And it's there's a limited number of pixels, so you've you've got to deliver a big punch, and you've got to use everything that's available to you. So I'll touch a bit more on that in a minute, Andy.
1: Brilliant. Okay. Well, I want to go straight into a, a, a fairly sort of slightly controversial and and very sort of topical theme because we, uh, I want to talk about ad blocking because I know it's quite a big issue and and the thing that, that's sort of th- strengthened my want to talk about it was there was uh, i noticed the news article i think it was just yesterday that uh three is uh, about to trial a- an ad blocking sort of mechanism which they're doing at quite a low level I and mean, be- before we go into that because i know that you've, you've, pro- you've probably got an opinion on it but why has ad blocking generally become such a big issue
2: okay And you know what? I'm going to back up one little thing, right? Me, personally, and a lot of people I work with, you know, we love ads. Mm. And that's why we get up and we go to work every day. It's a shame that not everyone else shares that feeling, right? And there's a simple reason for this. The trust between users and companies like ourselves and everyone else, and I feel complicit, has been eroded ever since the internet arrived. Mm. In the rush to monetize sites and web, the industry just kind of forgot about the basics of a good ad. Now, my wife considers me to be one level below an estate agent because of all the (laughs) annoying ads she sees online by the way, we have friends who are estate agents. There's nothing wrong with estate <laughs> agents, But that feeling is shared by so many people, and that's ultimately led to ad blocking. Now, ad blocking has been around for a while, yeah? Ten years ago, in the late noughties, there were desktop users. Now, typically, these were more advanced kind of technology geeks in inverted commas. They knew how to ad block. They've been doing it for a very, very long time. But, you know, media has been supported by ads for a very long time as well. I mean, consumers have been ignoring ads in other media. I mean, for instance, you know, if you take a TV... You can switch a channel, or you can fast forward if it's recorded. On radio, you can just switch, kind of switch off because it's only coming into one of our senses. And with Mm. print, you can flick through. Now, one of the key differences is with digital, we know exactly when a user has an ad blocking software installed, and that's why we're having to sit up and take action. It's obviously hurting revenues for publishers who are providing free based content as well. So, you know, a bunch of that kind of stuff, and software being more uh, available more readily and just being in the news as well in the last couple of years has just led to increase of usage i mean i've got some stats here one i'm going to pull up here um you know i'm looking at some stats from last year actually so apologies it's not completely up to date but they bring bring forward the points um, and yeah. the gro- global increase was 41% year on year from 2014 to 2015 as of june 2015 there were 198 million active users so there's a sharp increase now bringing it home i'm just going to use a EU and UK. If you look at the UK again last year, 22% of adults were now blocking. Now the most interesting stat last year was that 47% of people between the age of 18 to 24 are ad blocking. Now I know these figures have slightly changed because obviously iOS brought out ad blocking at the end of the year. So you've got a generation there who, whether they, how, how can I put it, whether they understand or don't appreciate the value exchange between free content and taking good advertising. Now, they well may turn around and say, actually, yeah, you're delivering a shit. Pardon my French, everyone. Mm-hmm. But it's a fair point for them to say, right? So all of that said, a couple of companies have probably, let me put it in a kind way, have been opportunistic in the last couple of years and thought, why don't we create some better ad blocking software make some noise, get consumers to hear about it. Now, you know, there's a very famous one out of Germany, which Google works with allegedly and a bunch of other large companies, but essentially they pay them a fee mm. to be able to allow it to show their ads. But, you know, who are they ultimately to make the decisions on what is a good and bad ad? Because we, are, we know it's so subjective at the moment. So fast forward and back to your question, a company like 3 who can control the network as such? Because we you know if you're on, if you're part of their network, and you're looking to use their data and to get onto the internet or whatever it may be, they can control what's coming through the pipes there. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was being cynical, I'd be saying to myself, if they can control the access to the content and decide which ads go through there's a money making opportunity for them on top of data being sold because you know there's big questions about really how do the mobile operators make cash in 10 20 30 years time it's probably not from telephone calls we understand that because so much of this is available free of charge now mm-hmm. so i think they're exploring ways to make money but by becoming the gatekeepers there's a lot of inherent risks i mean if you've been to any of the big exhibitions this year, last year, across Europe to the West Coast, wherever it may be, some of the ad blockers are taking a significant amount of flack because, you know, and I think quite rightly so, there's a bunch of people and quite a lot of people out there who feel like they're the modern digital mafioso. Because ultimately, they're saying, you've got to pay us some money, and then we'll then decide if those ads are good or not. And whether we show them on whichever publishers, if we you know, kind of open the gates on Publisher X and let the viewer see the ad.
1: Yeah, it's this whole area, it's sort of like creeping into the net neutrality sort of area, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's such a big, do you know what, ad blocking in its own right, you know, I kind of think like you can compartmentalize it, but it raises issues as per your point here about who controls it. Mm. And, and I think quite rightly so that people are getting a little bit angry, are getting a little bit vexed. And when I've seen, you know, for instance, I'm just going to use this, uh, the German company, Adblock Plus, because, you know, they're one of the biggest players out there. By putting themselves in this position, you know, it's open for debate people just feel like they are not the gatekeepers. Ultimately, no one really is the gatekeeper for the net. Mm. And the and the big issue here is that we, you know, maybe people of a certain generation, you know, people of my generation, know, you know, I know if I want content free of charge, I have to trade it with watching ads, right? And I'm also involved in this industry as well. So again, as a bias, but when I talk to my friends and they get it, they kind of get it. They just say, you know, we want the free content. Now, there is an alternative, isn't there? I mean, you, you pay for the content and a bunch of publishers, are, you know, in the moment they sense that you've got an ad blocker on. They're kind of shutting down the walls and saying, why don't you contribute a small amount of money so we can keep going or switch the ad blocker off? And you'll have to view as but you'll get the content free of charge. Now, mm. a, a huge number of publishers have uh, have done that with a great deal of success. So I think this is just starting to unravel now. I think it's an absolute positive thing. I'm really, really pleased. It's taking place. It's a little bumpy. It's kind of tough for the publishers and for companies like us as well. But when we come out the other side, I think there'll be a better understanding from both both sides. You know, I am talking about brands, ad companies like us, and consumers, and ultimately publishers will be just better connected with what users want. But it raises a lot of questions.
1: So, I mean, going moving on from this ad blocking issue, in the context of it, is is there a design approach to sort of help overcome this challenge?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I don't think there is there is one which I could put on the back of a piece of paper and kind of send out to everyone as we know that it's subjective. We've been involved in did creating digital ads for, uh, you know, I've been across a number of companies, successful companies, working with global brands. And we just have um, – and you know what? We kind of take it back to basics. And before I do that, one of the first things and most interesting things I learned – This is in 99. MIT did a basic study then about attention span online. We know our attention span is decreasing due to the way we interact with screens digitally and how we take content in. You know, Mm. it's all snackable content now, right? So our attention span is less than a goldfish. It's actually official. And, uh, you know, our attention span online is eight seconds. I do this little test when I go and present somewhere. So, you know, I have my PowerPoint keynote presentation. I hit the button. And then you get this kind of, it goes, you know, it just works down eight, seven, six, and it goes down to zero. That's how long you have a user before they move their focus from one thing to another on a screen. And it can be even shorter on a mobile as well. So the first thing you really need to do is just get their attention. And I'm going to come back to that. But... The other thing I'm going to start talking about is just the basic design principles. And I think these design principles apply to whatever ads you're creating and wherever they may be. So number one, the design principle is you just need to keep it simple. So why does simplicity work? I think, you know, the underlying force behind why simplicity works, well, there is this kind of cognitive concept called proficiency fluency. I'm not going to go into it now, but you can look it up. Yeah, I mean, simply, it means how easy is it for someone to grasp information pretty readily and quickly. You know, when I'm presenting, I, I kind of show two examples. One, a really busy, cluttered ad, which you look at and you go, oh my God, what am I doing here? Where, how do I start to make sense? And then you will show another, exa- another ad. And a good ad will typically have a single distinguishable call to action, right? Because that's really important. Yeah. A, si- a single headline you know, that's you know that's getting their attention. The company's brand name has to be in there as well because you want context as to who is producing, creating the service or the product. Yeah. And a single focal point or an eye-catching object. So, you know, again, if it's a razor blade, get a good shot of the razor blade. Um, while it sounds easy, you know, it's quite difficult to do. When I sit and talk to brands or companies, you know, many businesses just try to include too many things into an ad. Too many words, too many images, just too much stuff. and Too much of everything leads to an ad that's ineffective. So pick one thing that the ad should do. Is it to create brand building? Do you want to sell a product, showcase an event, or highlight something your company is doing? Create a single and simple message to highlight. So that's really number one, where you're trying to keep it simple. Yeah. Um, number two is, and the number of times I see this done wrong or just not executed well, and it's it's just a clear call to action. Limited attention span. People are moving from one thing to another. You just got to get their attention. There was a, um, who was it? A sim card company. I can't remember the car, name of the company, but the headline was for twelve pounds a month you get benefits of the service listed clearly. clearly, You know, whether it's 300 minutes, you can get unlimited texts, unlimited internet, and then you've got a clear call to action at the bottom. Mm. That, to me, is a great ad for that type of service where they're really looking for a user to respond pretty quickly. And if they get the right user, the chances are they will. So, you know, it's kind of like, what do you want a user to do once they receive the message? You should really be picking one thing because that's all you have time for in the digital environment. The likely choice is to click, you know, once they've kind of clicked on the ad space and go to your website, but you must tell, you know, if that's what you're looking to do, but you must tell users to do it. You know, it sounds overly simple, but people like instructions.
1: Yes, it makes, they like to be told what to do, don't they?
2: Yeah, it yeah. makes choices easier. We're just bombarded with choices everywhere. But, you know, and think about the words you use. Rather than using the words click here, consider something that tells a user more about the choice he or she is making. Order a free SIM. is much better and more specific and easy for users. So less information in the ad. Use a single object image call to action and concentration point, i.e., headline copy to drive the message home. So that was really about a clear call to action. Another really important one, something called the twenty percent rule. Mm. So text should not take up more than twenty percent of ad space. Now, you know, if you're in econ- if you're the Economist and you've got a full page spread in a, in a print magazine, I think it's slightly different. But with digital it's different because of the attention span you got. Facebook advertising has always had this rule that frustrates many ad designers. No more than 20% of the space should include text. I think it's actually a great design concept and constraint. You know, the web is a visual medium. Ads are visual tools. Use visuals to the fullest to get the most from your space and, you know, really limit text to a small portion of the overall space. I mean, this would also help you accomplish, you know, one of the other principles, which is pick a single message because I. We'll go to that, and will be stimulated by the visuals. Rule number four: color. You know, when I read about this, you know, they say that contrasting colors work better, and research shows people remember words and images better if the kind of the color palette works well together. There was an ad which I was looking at the other day, and it was um, using yellow and black, which interestingly are the are implemented in the design of safety signs because and wasps. You know, ne- yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I wonder, that's what probably comes from there right because negatively yellow represents alertness awareness and black represents caution evil and death and all that kind of stuff so contrasting colors can really bring an ad to life and in this instance they were targeting a youth demographic as well so that combination of colors was very very good and also because the, the overall ad was made of yellow and the company's logo is in yellow. So choosing it as a dominant color makes the ad, you know, it also kind of improves, the color increases brand recognition. And I say, you know, again, some stats tell you by up to 80%. So, you know, getting the right colors, which match the brand and the good contrast helps in maintaining uniform brand identity through multiple touch points, i.e. digital ads and landing pages. Also, it means that a kind of a consistent design strategy like this spreads across the brand's communication channels, evokes trust in consumers, and makes it likely that people will click through as a result of the mere exposure effect of using colors correctly. So that was number four. Number five, do unified design. And, you know, this is what I kind of say what i call connecting elements you know just as a website should have unity between the individual pages that it's made up of an ad should be visually relevant to the site it takes you to so clicking through to reveal a website that has little or no visual relationship with the original ad seriously degrades the user's experience and what will likely throw most users off the process mm-hmm. so your ad should use similar, ideally identical colors, images and typography so the users partially accustomed to your site before they before they've even visited. I mean, you wouldn't expect a Coca-Cola ad to be made up in Pepsi blue. So mimicking key design decisions in your ad is important to keep users on track. I'm not allowing them to drop off when they wonder, you know, wonder when they wonder where they've ended up. So I think it's really important. And a lot of companies do this well, you just, you know, whether you're on a banner, whether you've got into a full page experience, you click, get into the site, and it's seamless, you just kind of feel like you've gone from one step to another. Last but not least, um, is motion and animation. So utilising animation and motion with your ad can greatly increase your chances of user engagement. I think that's very simple, right? Yeah. But, But too much can easily end up annoying users instead, as well. So I think implementing subtle transitions and motion effect is generally a great way of grabbing attention and increasing interaction though i think you know you should limit the length to a non-looped 15 to 30 seconds on the whole While subtle transition style animations don't degrade the user experience too much, when running automatically on page loads, more intense animation that needs the user to actually focus should be limited to when explicitly enabled by a user. You know, video ads have just seen a huge uptake in the last 10 years. Now, you know, not everyone has video assets to work with, but getting you know it's really getting to all the senses making your ads evocative just as tv you know the best tv ads have been for again you know the last 40 or 50 years um trying to bring some of that into digital is really important so I don't know if you want to discuss any of that. You know, that's the kind of basic design principles. But to be honest, I think, you know, they can be applied to any kind of advertising. As I said from the beginning, I just felt like in our rush to monetize the web, we were just ramming and shoehorning existing assets into a limited number of pixels on a site. You know, the one thing I was talk about, how often do you see when you're watching TV an ad in the corner of the screen? It never happens. A brand would never allow that to happen mm. um, so why are we so challenged in delivering ads into small areas of real estate now you know we could go into a long lengthy conversation about that but there's ways of kind of circumnavigating navigating that any questions on that andy
1: i've got to ask well yes i've just written them all down actually <laughs> i'm just kidding uh, i do have a question actually what what's your opinions on pop-ups Here's
2: an interesting thing. Okay, great. I'm glad you asked that question. Mm. Because back in the day, I'm going to let's just rewind to 2005. Video was really on the uptake. I was kind of, you know, I remember walking around the media agencies in London, some in Europe. There was no video assets from brands to display um, on two ads. Now, the only way, uh, one company I remember that was finding a way to deliver video ads was, you know, there were interstitials and pop ups. People hate pop ups. There's no getting away around it. People don't like disruption mm. to their flow. And that's what, yeah, yeah. Mm. You know, it's just, they want to be in control. Now, if they do want to view an ad, they want to be in control. So, this is a great segue into the ads we create. You know, a uh, previous company out of the West Coast, I mentioned earlier, we figured that, again, there was a whole bunch of people from traditional media and creative agencies, you know, again, it was the same kind of you know ethos make advertising good make it work we thought let's take our ads to full screens whether you be on a mobile whether you know tablets weren't really around then but whether you be in a desktop so we decided to do one thing we thought we have to deliver we have to get their attention somehow so we're going to have to deliver these ads into standard banners as such as we call them wherever they are yeah so Let's make the banners really eye catching. Think about, you know, back to the design principles, strong visually, not too many words, capture someone's attention, then give them the option to go into an ad experience. So, we really developed this three, two, one countdown system. So, the moment you'd hovered over the ad because it caught your attention, we were telling the user if you wanted to go into the next stage of this experience, either click or wait for the three, two, one countdown to go to zero. Then we took over the full page. So I know you asked about pop-ups, but what we did is we thought laterally because in most instances, you know, pop-ups were taking too much of a screen up. And also the user had, they just, they, you know, they hadn't made that single choice that they wanted to go into the mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. We then built a very successful global business. And, you know, I can't tell you how many numerous businesses out there, including the likes of Google, Apple, etc., all took on this ad format, um, which is, works very successfully. We still utilize it now. And, you know, it's kind of when we talk about engagement design, there are these kind of steps to engagement sign. One is capture someone's attention, let them decide to go into the ad experience. Secondly, when it opens up, you know we feel at that stage you've got a full screen. It's almost like a TV ad, but guess what? A million times better because you can put hotspots on there. You can pick up their IP if you're a auto, you know, if you're a BMW, you pick up. Uh, where they are and tell them where their local garage is. You know, the list goes on and how functional and how beautiful these ads can be. Mm. A stat on this, you know, we see every time a user comes into one of our ad experiences, they spend 16 to 18 seconds in an ad experience. You know, you've got the user's attention this is ultimately what most brands want they want people's attention they want to know that they are interacting with their message now back to the start i mentioned earlier if if our attention span is eight seconds online we're doubling that through this method of advertising now we care about our ads yeah we you know we think ads at that point should be a utility they should be beneficial you know if i had a line between you know imagine i've got my fingers up here and as a kind of a continuum in a line at one end the ads should be useful hmm. if i was doing an ad for microsoft surface pro for instance you know that ad should show a prospective customer how that how that piece of hardware can fit into their life how they're going to use it every day at the other end of the spectrum we make our ads entertaining so you know it could be a new disney or a pixar film coming out and there's a you know teenager watching it and it makes them giggle and laugh and they think wow i'm actually going to share that with some of my friends so it's because it's digital and we can pack so much in and we get feedback because we know what people are interacting within our ad units and um, we have to work a lot harder mm. and so kind of you know going all the way back to where this conversation started it's a great thing ad blocking i think this is a you know another point of inflection for digital advertising and probably advertising as a whole because you know from time to time we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror and think you know what are we actually doing can we improve and what's the journey uh so you know even though there are still some of these pop-ups around i think for the most part there is a very small number of companies who still want to disrupt users experience online but you know i think yeah. hopefully at some point they'll go by the wayside
1: Thanks for the information about this. It's fascinating. So, based on all this, the old notion of engagement design is very interesting. What's uh, in the face of this? What does a modern digital creative agency look like these days?
2: Okay, so this is a, this is a really good question. Uh, you know, I don't come from one of the big creative agencies and you know the big networks as such because I've come from a digital angle where typically you know we've worked with businesses that are nimble by that i mean you you have to keep an open mind to how you work what are your processes because ultimately you want to meet the needs of the project work so creative and production companies now just i think they can't you know companies like us we can't rest on our laurels we we constantly challenge Ourselves to see how are we, what's that interface between us and all our partners out there, all the companies we work for, and can we improve? So I think you're constantly thinking about how you're evolving. That's really important. Mm. Imagine a Venn diagram. There's three circles. One circle's got creative written in it, one circle's got technology written in it, and one's got media. Now, right where all of those three circles meet, is where we live because we feel for digital advertising you know you've got to have great creative back to you know what i've been discussing same old good creative skills basic design principles that we've used for decades you've got to have technologists now these can just be individuals who understand have a very deep understanding of technology and actually can also pull their head above the parapet and thick parapet and think and look at the horizon to see where we should be heading, what are the challenges, how do we fix them? And within that set of technologies, we have developers. We have people who code. These are engineers who may never have wanted to come into advertising but nonetheless have, you know, something has sparked within their imagination. Maybe they're frustrated artists somewhere Mm, as well. So they work really well with the creatives. And then we have media specialists because all of the ads we create are ultimately deployed amongst media and we need to understand how people interact what are the best placements etc etc so i'm not just kind of selling our company here because that's where we live but i truly believed digital creative companies have to have a mix of all these disciplines and they must work together seamlessly um the other thing about digital is long timelines are very dull for clients and for media agencies and for everyone else now look you know if you're running a huge campaign it's going to take thing it's going to take time to create but we pride ourselves that we can get things up and running and moving very quickly you know one of the key things i think all all design agencies should be doing if you've got global partners is you know you've got to work across time zones you know if a project comes into london you work on it that day you know you flick it to the next time zone by tomorrow you should have things that are ready or you should have moved to the next stage um and i think you know all all modern companies should be doing that now as well um the other thing is partnering. I think it's the only way to have a meaningful relationship with whether it's a customer or another partner that kind of sits side by side. Yeah. you know, It usually means that, you know, you're investing more. You get to understand each other a lot more. But the output and the quality of work is just way different, is way different. So there's a bunch of things I'm talking about here and you know inevitably it's going to be skewed on my background where high growth businesses where you're typically evangelizing out in market you're looking for quick adoption you're turning things around quickly mean that you just work at a much faster pace uh, And because this is online and more and more brands are making decisions in real time and wanting to execute on those, you know, when you take social media, for instance, you know, uh, big brands have teams who are sat there making decisions, but as and when they're going to need to bring creative teams involved or, you know help them to change a creative on the fly. And I'm not just talking about kind of dynamic targeting, which is done, you know, via computer-based algorithms. I'm talking about stuff which involves real humans. A real human has to look at a piece of copy or has to look at a piece of design and say, actually, we're going to change that because something has happened in the world which affects this brand or a message... They kind of it is a really strong message of theirs. Um, companies need to be able to turn around really quickly, mm. and I think you know they they need to have all these facets. And inevitably, it's probably just smaller, leaner, hungrier, agile, smart companies. Yeah, agile.
1: Yes, taking a software development approach.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I hope that gives you an idea of uh, not just our approach, but I think a lot of businesses that are doing well out there using this approach.
1: It's been fantastic, Paps. Thank you so much. I'm sure our listeners have been taking a lot of notes. So thanks so much for coming on. Tell us how our listeners can find out more about you and more about Egg Moby.
2: Okay, so more about myself. You can just find me on LinkedIn at Paps Shake, which is P-A-P-S, and the surname is spelled S-H-A-I-K-H. Our website, the company I work for at the moment, is Egg Moby. Dot .com eggmobi.com and you'll see more and more of our thoughts and opinions about to be placed on there we've just come up with a new lovely design so uh, look out for it there i think that's where you'll find me Thanks, Paps.
1: And thanks for everyone for listening. Show notes, usual place, sitevisibility.com slash IM podcast. We're on iTunes and Stitchers. If you fancy doing a review, that would be fantastic. Um, if you want to connect with me personally, I'm Dr. Pod, D O C T O R P O D, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And uh, we're looking to answer some questions in the coming sort of future episodes. So, two ways to get questions and comments to us the email is podcast at com, And we have a magic phone line, plus four four one two seven three two five six one five. if you want to leave a comment or a question in audio form of course Paps thanks so much for coming on that's all from me Andy, it's all from Paps
2: Thank you very much and goodbye
1: and we'll see you next time on Internet Marketing